jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! of Darkness! Well, we are back from our week off! Oh, after a, a whole week's worth. Hey, I feel rested, relaxed, uh, beautified. Oh, yeah, look at the perm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. It's stunning. <laughs> Thank you. It took six hours. <laughs> no, I was just trying to think of besides the perm, which I mean, you know, is the centerpiece, obviously, of... <laughs> Oh, I mean, the whole manner, really. It's, it's like there's a spotlight following you wherever you go. Like Roma Thank Downey, you. when she shows up at the end of Touch by an Angel and has the glow on her hair. That was the point. Yeah. That was the point of it. No, I was just trying to think if anything exciting happened while we were away. I think I saw... No, no. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna say... Elvis? No, I think I saw a ghost, but it was just this old guy. But he, What? I was... Well, it was just an old man. It wasn't a ghost. It's not a dead person. Wasn't dead, no. But it was disconcerting. I was uh, out for an evening constitutional. (laughs) And uh, taking a little stroll through the local cemetery. Right, because you're so goth with that perm. Because I'm (laughs) goth. I've got my white face makeup on. (laughs) My black rings around my eyes, my black lipstick, and my fucking perm. Yeah, platform shoes. <laughs> platform shoes, my cloak. Hood down, though, to show off the perm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, no, but I'm uh, strolling around. It's just, you know, a route that I walk. And um, I come around this bend, and there's <laughs> this old guy sitting in a chair by some graves. And that was about it. And he waved at me, and then I waved at him, and I kept going. But it was very strange because it's like these graves are very are pretty old. Like, so it's not like oh, look at him visiting his dead wife or whatever. Like, unless his wife died in the fucking War of eighteen twelve or something. Like, oh, right. And so- he was he wasn't in like one of those chairs that you bring to like a picnic or whatever. You know, it was like a wooden like dining table chair what yeah was he really was he really there that's what i said maybe it it was a a ghost because like i did another loop and he was gone i took a picture of the chair what (laughs) wait but the chair was still there the chair was still there which means he did not bring the chair with him it was all very confusing you see what i'm saying because cemeteries have so you were one you were in like the modern there's nothing modern in this cemetery. No. There's no brutalist section. There's no like mod- modern postmodern no. architecture. <laughs> Most of it is like broken headstones and like like people were born in like the 18th century in this graveyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crumbles and plagues. Yeah, and so you one that's already established. You are in and and the antique. 
equitarian section right. of yeah. the cemetery. Then he's sitting in a dining chair, which don't cemeteries typically have like benches? Yeah, there's no benches in this place. Oh, okay. Are there other chairs? No. There's just this one, and it's like a dining... It was a wooden chair, like, maybe from, like, a dining table, or maybe, like, a school chair. Like, just a sturdy wooden chair. Nothing fancy, but, like, a legit chair. Like I said, I have the picture. I'll send you the picture. It's so weird. And he waved at you? He waved at me, yeah. Was he see-through? Not that I could tell. Did he did he make eye contact i assume he was a little far away okay okay but he clearly he saw me and i saw him we acknowledged each other so if he was not of this mortal plane there was some kind of uh crisscrossing going on right a moment of recognition across dimensional wow that is where i went into this completely skeptical and not and saying that was it you saw a man sitting yeah, but it's just the, the the context is what gives it. If I say, I saw a man in a graveyard, you say, okay, great. You know, but all of the context and everything makes it a little strange. I don't know. Did you look under the chair to see, like, you know, like the Antiques Roadshow and to see, like, when it was from? No, I didn't go near the chair. Are you crazy? That's probably smart. I'm surprised, though, knowing you. Right. Why didn't I go sit in it and wait for the next passerby and wave at them and keep the spectral chain going? You become the sentinel. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm shocked that you held back. I know because this is this is Stacy spacewalk ponder. But imagine though, if I did sit down and then someone else could have the tale to tell, be like, maybe I saw a ghost. I don't know. I saw this person that looked like a goth, but there was also a perm. <laughs> it's like a perm juggalo. Yeah. <laughs> what to make of it <laughs> she waved at me and she was speaking korean yeah <laughs> <laughs> also side note to all of that side note honestly fuck stephen king because every time i Ooh. think about the word cemetery like it is a word i have trouble spelling now because of him because he spells it wrong in pet cemetery but that's become part of the proper spelling of it. And it's just a word that I always have to, like, think about when I spell it. And I get really irritated over that because, you know. It's just a lot of E's. Right. But he spells it with a lot of A's. And an S. Yeah, the S doesn't confuse me, but the rest of it does. It's weird. Sam. Cemetery. Yeah, it <laughs> turns everyone into Moira Rose. <laughs> So I just have to take a second to think about it and, you know. Yeah. But isn't it supposed to capture, it's the, it's the children that were burying their pets out there that put the sign that said cemetery and that's why it was misspelled, right? Isn't that? Right. At the heart of it, as you'll find with most problems, it's the children's fault. It's always that, why do we do everything? Oh, it's about protecting the children. No, they ruin everything. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, We're back. We're back. It's a new month. It is a new month. It's a new month because, I don't know if you know this, Stacey, but the countdown is on! It, you know what, listeners? <laughs> it, we're, okay. It's a, well, wow. alright, so the, the month's theme, the new theme is Countdown to Rapture Month. Okay. Oh. Because as we've said before on this show, 
on June 4th, we are going to see Mamamoo in concert, at which I expect to be raptured. Oh, okay. Can you believe it, girls? <laughs> can you believe it, girls? I'm going to be raptured. <laughs> <laughs> so we're counting down to that. And honestly, I'll tell you right now, in case you don't have a calendar nearby, this is not even going to constitute a full month because we are down to a matter of saying the concert is only a couple of weeks away now. We're in the weeks section of it. Soon we'll be in oh. the it's in a couple of days section. Oh. Uh, so it's countdown to Rapture Month. What does that mean? I don't know. We're going to get raptured. So we're doing some movies that are like, uh, you know, end of the world type stuff. Doomsday-ish. Yeah. The inevitability of demise, in a way, I think, is is a definition. Yeah. So, but the first movie we're going to talk about. I'm very excited to finally do an episode on this movie. I am too. Very excited. Uh, to talk about 2018 Annihilation. This movie's come up from time to time on this show. It's come up several times. <laughs> uh, and I've always wanted to do an episode on it. And now we are. So let's uh, cross that off the old uh, uh, list of things I'd like to do. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> hey, I'm girl boss. Hashtag goal boss. <laughs> love the goal boss <laughs> yeah. you really could coin that and make so much money <laughs> i know i really should if only i had any advice to give well if you had advice to give sure but also if you were willing to just become a charlatan you know right that like yeah. that how easy it could be to flip a switch and just be an influencer oh my god imagine you like i start actually posting to instagram more than just like look what i'm listening to right now <laughs> oh god and all of a sudden, my posts are like, they have that cursive font. And it's just like, never do later what you can do now. Or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> the grammar's gone out the window. She's girl bossing it. <laughs> That's right. The perm grows too strong. <laughs> so I am, I'm excited. Because I think this is, I had just watched this actually not too, too long ago, maybe last month sometime, just for fun. Yeah, I, I, I remembered you saying that. Yeah. I watched a movie just for pleasure. Imagine that. Wow. Not to write about, not to talk about, just because I wanted to watch it again. What called you back? It had been a while and I do really love this movie. Yeah. So I said, you know what? Tonight's the night, baby. I patted, patted my perm, <laughs> spelled some things correctly. Yeah, so I watched it again for this because, you know, I like to keep them fresh in my mind place. Yeah, we, we do generally watch the movies we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things we pride ourselves on here at this podcast. It's going off straight memory from five years ago. Oh, no, I was going to ask you what your history with this movie is, I guess. Well, to that, thank you for asking. To that, I was going to say it's a good thing that I didn't go off of memory alone uh, from five years ago. Could you believe this movie was five years ago? I, I honestly can't. Because something happened between 2020 and now where it felt that that gap of time just doesn't feel correct. We entered the shimmer. We entered the ship. We fully entered the ship. Alex Garland was trying to warn us. We fully entered the shimmer. You're right. Because 
it feels both 157 years ago and also last year, or more accurately, two years ago. Uh, because in my mind, 2018 was two years ago. <laughs> uh, however, that is not the case. We entered the shimmer. When I first saw this movie, I uh, I liked a lot of things about it. I love Natalie Portman. I always love Natalie Portman. Me too. Is there anyone that doesn't love Natalie Portman? Jerks. I don't understand how someone couldn't love Natalie Portman. I I, I watch her and I think, she, what's not, to, she is both an incredible actor and she's like a real life doctor. <laughs> like, who went to Harvard? Like, I just saw an ad, a trailer for this documentary about a women's professional soccer team. And I was like, is this fiction? Why is Natalie Portman in the thumbnail? It's because she's part owner of a women's soccer team in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, see, I just feel like Natalie Portman is a real one. Like, she's weird. She's cool. She's really funny on SNL. She can rap. She's Padme Amidala. She's a doctor. (laughs) She's so fucking cool. And she's Nina Sayers and a great actor. Like, love Natalie Portman. So, So that was my general thing was I loved Natalie Portman. I... Wanted to love the movie more than I did. I think I was left, um, the first time I saw it, I think I had a weird reaction. Watching it this time, I was like, what didn't I love about this? But I think I think it was a balance, like, sort of, I wanted it to be more horror, I think, than it was. Perhaps was one thing. And also, I, I think there was a, a part of me that just wasn't willing to go to a science fiction place of and perhaps because I have now experienced life in the shimmer and I'm more, much more open to these stories, similar to how previously I had talked about, you know, movies pre 2016 or pre <laughs> well, movies change and your receptiveness to stories sometimes shifts with your life and with life events. And now I'm like, give me a story all about depression and grief and change, which I don't think I was open to then, but now I've been through a whole lot of that. <laughs> and so I think I'm like, I'm vibing with it. I loved it this time. Okay. Yeah, it's very into this movie. I love that. I have lots of questions still. Sure. I I think it's a cold film. I think it's very cold. Oh! And, fully. It's scientific. And, yeah, and I think that is definitely a positive, but I also think it can make it difficult to connect to this movie, to the characters in this movie, emotionally. And sometimes I think if that's what part of you is looking for as a viewer, I think that will be a negative. I th- Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was definitely a, a huge part of it. I think me, you know, and then I come in and I'm like bringing in my like, oh, I, you know, I read about feminism in college and now I'm a hyper feminist. And so me, <laughs> 2018, watching it, then I'm trying to, I'm like, oh, is she just, is this all happening because she had an affair? so there's like that part that part of me that might have also brought that in with the coldness and how i read it um versus just a couple years of difference five years and i'm like you know much more life is fluid and awful and strange and everything changes and just prepare countdown to rapture baby (laughs) and i'm now i i fully am receptive to it but there's that i have questions about um I think in general, I have questions about just Alex Garland thinking about his filmography as a whole. And I don't know that there's anything like I have problems with him. I just have questions about his, some of his choices. 
uh, and like his subject matter that he usually goes with. Because I think was this his directorial debut? No, Ex Machina was. Ex Mach, right? Ex Machina was before this. I loved Ex Machina, but Ex Machina, Annihilation, and Men all have like kind of some through lines through them. And I'm so curious about. I just want to sit down and know more from this guy. <laughs> but anyway, so that's that's all of my prologue. Loved it. Loved it this time. Yeah, for, I saw this in the theater when it came out, and what an experience. I don't know. Like this, this movie benefits so much from a theatrical setting. I think. Mm, yeah. The, especially the sound and the music and all of that in a theatrical setting is so much more. And so just like seeing it that first time, I walked out and I was like, I'm going to have to chew on that because I'm not entirely sure what to make of everything right now, having walked out of the theater. But I do know that I loved it. Because mm. I just think I think there's a lot to this movie and it's not. You can't always just like when a movie ends and the credits are still rolling and the lights come up. You can't always just turn to the person next to you and, and know everything about the movie. Like, you got to let them sit for a while. And Yeah. Know? No, yeah, there's so much functioning in this movie. And it's extremely, it's extremely rich, um, both visually and thematically. Uh, and it, 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 you're right, it is cold, but in that it's like, it doesn't, get, it doesn't offer any moral judgments. But it's also extremely human in that it just allows all of this to happen without judgment, which I really appreciate. Uh, so it's actually a profoundly human movie, I think. Um, and it is. this is something that's interesting about the movie, too, is that what you were speaking to about seeing it in the theater, which I also saw it in the theater, and I do remember like the effects being incredible and the sound also incredible, like, particularly when we get to... Um, well, you know, what's the section where the sound is really effective? <laughs> the bear. The horrifying bear, which is, I thought, really cute this time. But um, with a scary skull face. But, uh, like, that, that is really, really great in a theater. But I was shocked going back and reading about it that this movie, I forgot, this was one of the earliest victims of the simultaneous theatrical digital distribution release model. Yeah. Which has now taken over the industry and it's shifted so much for in the favor of digital release. Yeah, I think like overseas, it was only ever available on Netflix and never got a theatrical distribution outside of the US. I thought this movie, I remember this movie being incredibly popular. I forgot it was a flop. Yeah, it's a big flop. I think it's one of those movies that like the studio also doesn't know what to do with. Yeah, there, I read there were issues with production and the producer wasn't happy with the movie and, well, some a financer underneath Scott Rudin and then Scott Rudin stood up for it, but then they had to negotiate that deal to make up for it. They're like, oh, well, okay, well, we don't like this, but since we're mad, we'll just put it on Netflix or something. It was weird. But it was interesting to see, like, to go back and read about that now and think like, oh, this is kind of one of the key moments where we really began to start stabbing filmmakers in the back. And betraying the actual movie making and distribution process as part of the movie making process, which now we've seen come full circle in the five years since this movie was released. So that's a depressing little factoid. <laughs> I don't know. I never could have anticipated a day when like movie theaters would be teetering on the brink of extinction. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe a theater here and there would close, but never like chains oh, an, whole an cloth. Higher chain? Never I would. I never thought I would see the majority of audiences say, "I'm just going to stay home." 
<laughs> you know, like opening night, whatever. Like our TVs are bigger. Our sound systems are better. Everything is so expensive. Uh, why not just stay home and watch it? Oh, yeah. I just saw a statistic. Uh, this was in the performing arts world, but I mean, kind of similar. It was uh, 46% of people who identify as arts patrons would rather stay home on a Saturday night. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What do you do with that? When you're in an industry that's dependent on getting people to seats to experience the thing in person. And I mean, unfortunately with film, well, something that is great about film and why I think I've, I've always said this about film while I'm, while I'm, why I'm so drawn to it as a medium and a medium to talk about. And as an art, uh, our art, art making option, I guess, like it's so, it can, it can, it's so not democratized, but it can exist in so many places. It's so accessible. So the accessibility of getting it on streaming and stuff, I guess, is good for accessibility purposes. But at the same time, it does a disservice to like the entire movie making model and to actors and to payment. I mean, we're seeing this with the Writers Guild and with streaming and it's just nuts. That it's reached this point. And now that people are literally like some ding dongs are literally like AIs are going to be making the movie soon. And I just <laughs> I, I, I don't. I haven't dabbled. I haven't used the chat bots and all of this. So I don't really know much about it, but I just feel like, why is it all of a sudden everywhere? Like, how did that flashpoint already happen? And the scales have already tipped where it's like, it went from, it feels like an Instagram filter. Like, yeah. look, at, look at me. I can make myself look like a Renaissance painting or what the fuck ever. My and mass now, effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it feels like the AIs are coming for your jobs. No, because the, because the, 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 the Donald Trump NFTs, which were cool. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> they were I mean, if I like, uh, whatever. Yeah. I was gonna say, say, like, is that the kind of NFT I would make of myself? Probably, right? You know, like, listen, folks, I'm not a Trumper. Even we made whatever, so (laughs) I just support all the Trumper housewives. But I don't support Trump. You all know this about me, anyway. It's stupid. It's not cool. It's stupid. It's so stupid. But that's how cool those images were. They were that stupid. So, but like, that's where we were. And wasn't that like? That was this, I feel like that was this year. Maybe it was late last summer. Yeah. That was really recent. And like all we, I, what you're saying, we've made the jump from that a couple months ago to now like studios are like, we're not going to hire or pay writers because a computer can just make a Trump image. Like how? Yeah. And some people are a little too excited about it and are like, look at this. This fake movie trailer was made entirely by an AI. You'd never know it. And it's like, yeah, until you look at it and everybody has three mouths and eight fingers and like, (laughs) (laughs) but like, how does everybody have all of this? all these tools already and like like what is happening all of a sudden it's weird. we sat inside for three years that's true yeah <laughs> that's true and everything awful happened this shimmer is really knocking us on our ass shimmer's knocking us out so annihilation it was all about that this movie was warning us yeah it was totally warning us uh it is based on a book of course this is an adaptation of to the lighthouse by virginia wolf my favorite <laughs> I mean, this is all about depression. Right? 
It could be based on To the Lighthouse. You don't know. It really could be. <laughs> it really could be. That's, that's a great book. Oh, yeah. That and The Waves. Oh, yeah. I love Virginia Woolf. She knew what she was doing. She knew what she was doing. God, she was great. Yeah. She was a little racist. God, she was such <laughs> a great writer, though. <laughs> such a great writer. Two things um, can be true. Two things can be true. Incredible feminist, lesbian, racist, and incredible writer who literally treated words like paint. Uh, so brilliant. Shifted the playing field for all writing ever since. But, uh, oh, sorry. I just I just really like Virginia Woolf. Me too. No, to the Lighthouse has this great passage. I had never, before I read that book, I had never seen anybody speak to the, like, the feeling of not being able to get the art out. Yeah. This the painting. Yeah. Of just like knowing what you want to do, having it inside you, in your mind, all of this, and just you cannot make it happen. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, to the lighthouse and Carson writes about this to the lighthouse when she just says time passes. And next thing you know, the lead character is dead. And it's just mentioned in a passing sentence. So did she write Annihilation? It's possible. She full honestly, is that why there's a lighthouse in this? Because it really could be, there really is, I think, a connection now. I haven't read the original, the Southern Reach trilogy. I've not read, I've been meaning to ever since I saw this movie and learned that it was based on the first book in that trilogy. And I have not gotten around to it. I don't think, I don't really know that they're connected. I've heard that it's very different. I guess Alex Garland read the first book only and he only read it one time and then he wrote the screenplay. So I'm sure there's a lot of differences and all of that, which just makes me more excited to read the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I heard he like, yeah. And he, he, he called it like a, a memory adaptation or adapted from memory where he wanted to capture the vibe of it. And like, cause for him, it, he said it was a very dreamlike state reading it. So he wanted to make, he wanted to adapt that dreamlike sense in telling like his own kind of story that I guess was was based off of that or what the 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 vibes he remembered. I like that. I mean, it's like cool. You know, that's how you get Suspiria two thousand eighteen. Right. You know, yeah, for real. Like that's actually cool. That's it's and he did that. He did do that with Jeff Vandermeer, the writer of Southern Reach, with his um, blessing apparently. And, but, you know, like, this movie came out, and then two seconds later on Tumblr, teenagers are screaming, like, whitewashing! <laughs> I guess Natalie Portman's character is is Asian in the books, and Jennifer Jason Lee's character is, like, indigenous or part indigenous. I read that, but apparently that's not revealed until, like, the second or third book. Exactly. And he didn't, he, like, deliberately, when he was working with uh, the writer, he, like, deliberately did not want any information about the forthcoming books because those hadn't even come out yet. Right. Now you could turn and say, well, he could have just decided to, wow, make an Asian lead. That would have been something, huh? He could have just cast them regardless. Yeah. Yeah. So there is that argument, but I don't, it wasn't a deliberate change to whitewash characters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So what is this all about? Oh, right. We've just been giving all like context and backstory. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this this movie is so beefy it is there's really a lot to talk about she's um, a beefy queen uh so natalie portman stars as lena 
she is a biologist, a professor at Johns Hopkins. And I say, does she know Dr. Wendy from the Real Housewives of Potomac? <laughs> There's nothing in this movie that says she doesn't. <laughs> it's not refuted explicitly. Either. <laughs> That's right. So does Annihilation also take place in the Real Housewives universe and vice versa? Yes. <laughs> Virginia Woolf, Real Housewives. <laughs> Fucked up bears. Anyway. So she stars as Lena. Um, she, her husband, who's in the army, uh, that's where she met him. Lena is an ex-soldier. Um, he went away on a super top secret mission about a year ago. And in that time, he has not returned. And so he is presumed dead. But then one day he shows up. He comes home. And he's real weird. <laughs> Oscar Isaac. I love Oscar Isaac. Oh, I love Oscar Isaac. Who doesn't love Oscar Isaac? Like, he's such a dreamboat, and he's like a really good person, and a really good actor. Yeah, he's a terrific actor. Oh my god, he, I feel like he is like, I don't know what his deal is, but I feel like he is, and Pedro Pascal, honestly, both of them. I love them both so much, why aren't they gay together? But <laughs> Power couple. Power couple! power couple um but there's something so like effortless about his acting but also just so naturally charismatic but it doesn't seem like any of it goes to his head that's just my read of oscar isaac that makes sense similar to natalie portman actually and yet i'm not sold on their chemistry completely i was during the the cute scene the rest of the time I had, but then I felt like that was potentially a, uh, the point. Part of the point. Yeah, it's part of the point. Because they have a fracture, but we don't know that until later. Right. So he comes back and he's real kind of hollow eyed, you know, just not, even though you don't know him at that point, you know, something is not right. And she picks up on there being something not right. And the next thing you know, he's bleeding out uh organ failure all of this they're in the ambulance the ambulance gets pulled over by spooks oh it's very stressful yeah uh natalie portman is given an injection and she awakens at area x which is some kind of military base installation uh jennifer jason lee is there and once again i ask myself (laughs) she a good actress <laughs> you've been sounding this alarm for a while now with me I, I mean i know she's playing someone who is depressed and dying but also it just it means she's indulging in her more lethargic tendencies uh-huh. uh, your husband is in the other room and- <laughs> I don't know why you you say that he went away on a mission. Did he tell you where he was going? Like, like, right? I don't know. You you have been sounding this alarm. I have been fighting it because I love Jennifer Jason Lee. Me too. I think you do too, right? I do, yeah. Yeah. We love Jennifer Jason Lee around these parts. She's fucking cool. She just is cool. She's cool. She's cool. She's just lit. And so uh, you said that and it planted the seed and watching it this time... (laughs) I said to myself, the woman is just saying lines. Right. <laughs> yeah. She's just saying lines. 
But it works. Yeah. But she's just saying lines. I think because, but also, it's kind of similar to the chemistry thing, like, with Oscar Isaac and Natalie Portman, and that her character is sort of the removed weird leader, psychologist, depressed psychologist who's dying. So it, it still kind of works, but it, it, but that's, I think, also the Jennifer Jason Lee enigma is the woman is just saying lines, and yet I'm like, I love her, I'll die for her. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, not to, you You shouldn't see The Hateful Eight because you will not like it, but. I wish I could watch her performance without having to watch the movie. I'm going to try and do that because now I need to do the full empirical study. And I need to know, does she in fact also just say lines in Hateful Eight? Say what you will about him. I don't think Tarantino would allow that kind of performance in one of his movies. And seen as how he is the walking embodiment of cocaine energy. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help but think that's... I mean, because almost every actor that he has in his movies, he gets like a career best performance out of them. Brad Pitt won a fucking Oscar. Yeah, I mean, look at Jackie Jackie Brown. Like Pam Greer, Robert Forster, they've like never been better than that movie. I mean, he is extremely good at directing actors when he's not killing them in car accidents almost. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, th- I mean, there's there's always that. Like, not yeah. to slight her, but just given that every other performance seems a little more on this level, I think maybe she needs a director who's going to push her a little. Yeah, yeah. Because she's just too busy being cool and just saying the lines. But, yeah. Okay. And plus, you know, her character here is Dr. Ventress, who's obviously named after Asajj Ventress from Star Wars The Clone Wars. Yep, she's a night sister. <laughs> It's canon. <laughs> anyway. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that there's a, a sort of wraparound story with Natalie Portman telling doctors at a later time what's going on. Have you guys seen Annihilation? Right? Did you see this? It was five years ago. It was five years ago. You guys should really see this movie. Yeah, she's all she's telling them what's up. She's all bloody and bruised. So uh, Dr. Ventress explains to Lena that there is this thing called the Shimmer. Which, uh, some sort of a meteor or an alien craft or who knows, we don't know. We saw it at the beginning of the movie. Came hurtling out of space and crashed into a lighthouse on the coast of southern, like, southeastern United States somewhere. And so that gave birth to the Shimmer, which is kind of a force field surrounding the area. It sort of looks like, uh, you know, when oil is shimmering on a puddle. Or something, or like a soap bubble, kind yeah. of rainbowy, weird. Yeah, that ugly tux that Neil Patrick Harris wore to the Matrix premiere. Uh, so the shimmer is expanding at an alarming rate, and the United States have been sending in teams to try to figure out what's going on, but no one ever emerges back out from the shimmer except for Lena's husband, Kane, who is now lying, dying in a bed with organ failure and all this. Something's, something's going wrong with him. So they're going to send in a new crew. This time they're going to say, let's do Shimmer Team. Now it's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Full military code name. Yep. So it's, now this team is going to uh, be composed of women of various uh science flavors so we've got lena she's a biologist dr ventress who is the shrink we've got anya who is a lesbian 
and, yeah. a, par- and a paramedic. Uh, we have Shepard, who is a, ge- what is she, a geologist? Geomorphologist. Oh, excuse me. Which I don't even know what that is. It's so fancy. Know. Yeah. And we have uh, Josie, who is a physicist. And so this little crew of five is going to go into the Shimmer and see what's up. And that's about it. Lena, the, Lena's motivation to go in partially is, I think this was a big change from the book that people were kind of upset about, is that in the book, I guess it's more just her own scientific curiosity oh. that sends her into the shimmer. But here in the movie, uh, she had an affair with a colleague and her husband found out, but it seems like they never talked about it or it was really acknowledged, but it made him real sad and upset. And so he went into the shimmer. And when she finds out that basically that's a suicide mission and that's why he went, she is then motivated to go in and see if she can find out what's going on. And she's also motivated to get back out of the shimmer to get back out to him. Mm-hmm. So they go in and stuff is real weird. The end. <laughs> that's what they say they go oh stuff's oh it's kind of weird oh it's weird (laughs) everything has hair like a horse (laughs) but it's a woman it's flowers but it's a woman (laughs) i would love that if mary brown is like the one person who survives the shimmer and she's just chilling yeah yeah they're like we have a survivor she's a geomorphologist a ballerina she's contracting with the department of defense she's a historian and they say what did you see oh kind of weird (laughs) yeah so this uh fox force five they are (laughs) they are all scientists but they're all also damaged in some way right they're all sad they're all very sad ladies. Uh, Lena is grappling with the guilt of her uh, her affair and what she she takes on the blame for what happened to her husband. Dr. Ventress, it turns out, is dying from cancer. Um, Anya is a hot-headed recovering addict. Shepard lost her daughter to leukemia, so she's been grieving ever since. And Josie... Uh, wrestles with suicide ideation she's a cutter these kind of things she seems very depressed um and so they've gone on this mission that maybe they're not gonna come back from so they go inside the shimmer and things are really really weird um and i kind of i love it because it's i mean this is just earth this is just like off the coast of florida or louisiana or something yeah but it becomes an alien world because everything is so fucked up and I love that, that it's it's really plays into the uncanny and how unsettling that can be as a viewer. And it makes this movie really uh, a thing of wonder because the visuals and the production design and all of this are so incredible. But it's also so unsettling. Yeah. That it keeps you on edge, I think. It's fully uncanny. And I, I love that about The Shimmer, that it's not... I guess there's kind of like a pod people element to this, but it's not that. It's not alien invasion, even though it also kind of is, but it's not that. It's like when Tessa Thompson's character, um, 
uh what was her name radic radicky or rat radic josie radic yeah. josie radic i really i really like tessa thompson in this movie i do too she's just like so soft-spoken and like just like she's very much gives like a hanging rock vibe <laughs> she just like wanders through these places i really love her in this but um i also liked when she was in movies during this era <laughs> but uh what happened to her but she um so I got excited thinking about Tessa Thompson. <laughs> and then I started remembering when she was dating Janelle Monet, kind of, maybe. <laughs> and how that ended so fast. Um, where was I going with this? To f- oh, but Tessa Thompson points out, like, like she points out that the the shimmer is what it's doing. Because it's Fractal City, right? This is just fractals out of control. But it's it's refracting everything within the shimmer. So it's taking it so it's mutating everything but what what's so cool about that and i think what's very relatable and what makes it uncanny is that it's it's not outside it's not scary tentacle people it's not it's it's all us and it's all our dna and it's all our planet and our flora and fauna all remixed everything is mutated and just like the horror of what happens when a flower looks different like it's it's kind of cool when your foundation crumbles away right even just like you like looking at a flower something that simple when it's different it, you can even have a little bit of that experience it's always interesting when you go somewhere new like if it's if your country is large enough geographically and you go to the other side of it or you go to another country and just when the flora and fauna is different and it's like, well, these are all birds, but these aren't the birds that I know. Yeah. Or to make it incredibly petty and mundane and small, uh, when they change the label on one of your time-honored products. That, that happened when I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. That that has never been more pronounced is going from one coast to the other. Is that the logos were exactly the same, the fonts were exactly the same, the packaging was the same, but the names were different. <gasps> Best Foods versus Hellman's. Exactly. Like Edie's versus Briar's ice cream or something like that. Like it's just it's the same thing, but the name is different. And you you feel like you're in a fucking David Lynch movie all of a sudden or or something. Yeah, why why is everything east of the Mississippi the shimmer? What no, changed? What happened? West of the Mississippi is the shimmer. Oh, really? Yeah. We oh. were here first, okay? Yeah. Best coast, all right. <laughs> Sorry, we're in the same room, in the same yeah, building, yeah, in the yeah. same mansion. Just, you don't realize how large our manor is, <laughs> listeners, okay? <laughs> it's vast. Very prosperous podcasters. Um, yeah. So everything is really weird. Plants will be like things that are supposed to be scientifically impossible are happening. You have uh, plants that are like several different species of flower are growing on the same vine. This kind of thing. And it's all fucked up. Uh, they eventually, they come across a half-sunken sort of fishing shack. Huck. Sh- huck? Uh-huh. Shack. <laughs> Hut. <laughs> oh, and Tessa Thompson, oh, oh. <laughs> Tessa Thompson is attacked by a... Uh, fucking alligator that's got some shark teeth it's so cute i felt so bad for it did you i thought it was when natalie portman like 
switches into army woman mode and she gets down on one knee and she like sucks in her cheeks and she just stares right at it and she's like, yeah. i was like i am not like a simp for army gals but maybe now i am yeah you had to go pour yourself an iced tea and go I sit did. on the porch my my perm was all wilted you know <laughs> Ooh, she straightened it right out you know it's funny because i'm watching the movie i'm like you're telling me she was in the army for seven years and then she cuts to that and it's like the immediate regression it was hot it's great it was really great it was a great character moment too because also she has not revealed to the like dr ventress knows but the other people in fox force 5 do not know (laughs) that kane was her husband that the man who came out of the shimmer was her husband yep she doesn't reveal anything about herself and i think that's also she's a really interesting character because we don't I like I've seen this movie several times now and it's she's a really difficult character to get a handle on. Mm-hmm. We see facets of her life but we really don't know her at all, which is surprising for the lead character. Like we know she feels guilty and kind of hates herself and that's part of the point of this movie. Um and that's why she goes into the shimmer. But otherwise it's like, and it also, when you remember that there is the wraparound thing and everything that we're seeing play out is the story that she is telling the scientists. Yeah. And ultimately, she's something of an unreliable narrator. Yep. We've seen her withhold information from the other women in the crew. We've seen her withhold information from her husband. We've seen the way she can turn things on and off with the colleague that she was having the affair with. Mm-hmm. So who knows how much of what she's saying is the truth even. That's fascinating. And you're, she never, she, we never get from her, from her perspective in terms of, of her vocalizing it. We're never told anything about her interiority Mm-mm. at any moment. Are we? No. All we can do is pick up on the little clues. And I think Natalie Portman is really great at physically embodying this character. Yeah. But it's just moments like that where she drops to one knee and shoots that alligator. Or when she's waking up from a dream or something like that. Like those are the only kind of moments that we get that are at all windows into who she is as a person. And everything else is pretty much just all purely visual or gestural in how we're afforded information about her the affair we just like like if i mean similar to the relationship with oscar isaac we see her and oscar isaac in love laughing tickles on the bed we're just seeing that we're seeing flashbacks cut we see the revelation of the affair but we just see the affair happening then when the conversation is happening with her and the other professor that she she was that she fooled around with like we see he's the one getting emotional and have trying to appeal to her and she just says this is over get out yeah but we don't know like how are these things affecting her like he says oh you don't hate me you you hate yourself and she's like "Eh, i hate both of us get out yeah she doesn't reveal anything about herself to the other women they have to pull it out of her even the psychiatrist like anytime she has a talk with her you know like all we see from her basically is concern for her husband yeah and not in a like cloying way because also part of the flashback where they're in bed together is like he says something that could be romantic like he won't tell her where he's going 
Um, but he says, oh, we'll be in the same hemisphere. So when you look up, we'll both be looking at the same stars or whatever. And she's like, oh, like, please, corny. You think that, like, I just pine for you while you're gone? Yeah, just garden. And so now it's like, was she being really guarded with him? Or, you know, like, all mm-hmm. she's, all, like, the man she's having the affair with says, like, you know, he can't tell you anything about his life and you can't talk to him about yours. So there's some, like, a hint that there's some kind of, like, intellectual difference or just, like, you know, things they talk about, all of this. So she's dissatisfied in that capacity. Yeah. But I think that's maybe part of the reason why people might not, might have a bit of a negative reaction to this is this is the lead character and she's completely unknowable. Uh Uh-huh. I think it's really interesting. That is. Well, but also what's really cool is that that, creates such a challenge for an actor to embody because then it purely becomes it becomes all her interior psychology that she is embodying on camera like but but also that that's all with there's no conversation with the audience (laughs) like that she has to do all of that work on her own silently And Natalie Portman, and probably, you know, through conversations with Alex Garland or whatever, has to make decisions down to micro expressions. Like, what is she going to give away with the furrowing of a brow or a facial expression here or there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like when they when they find the video camera, the first video camera, and they see the recording of Oscar Isaac and the pre the previous troupe, and they're slicing that guy open, and there has the intestines that are just spinning around. It's so gross and weird. But like when she sees him, there's a moment of recognition when she sees it that I think Jennifer Jason Lee, if not some of the other women, catch on to with her. But otherwise, she really tries to keep herself very guarded in what she offers, which makes her really interesting as the narrator of this movie yeah it's like we can we can look at everything on the surface and say that's what happened but then when you consider her character you say maybe that's not what happened Mm -hmm. so they're in the shimmer they lose track of time uh they feel like they've been there for a day but it's been weeks or they feel like they've been there for weeks and it's only been a day like everything is just wrong inside the shimmer um, they come across uh, an abandoned army base, like you said, um, which is where her husband and his cohorts were stationed up for a little while. They find a memory card and they play it. And I love the like when this movie goes found footage a little bit in a couple of scenes. Ooh, I love it. Oh, spooky. So we see, like you said, uh, Oscar Isaac cut open one of his cohorts because the shimmer is inside. It's so gross. But it's also like they're watching this and the women are repulsed. There's this sense that, you know, as a viewer watching it, you're like, well, they want to get to the bottom of this and they're trying to show what's happening. But also like there's a weird what is happening to this, these men <laughs> that they're doing this. Well, that's the, you know, because they keep sending in teams and the teams do not emerge, you know, the scientists are surmising, well, either something inside kills them or they're all going crazy and killing each other. Yeah. Like, those are the two conclusions. And so the tapes are pointing at they go crazy and kill each other. Meanwhile, the alligator and the bear and all of this are pointing at 
things inside the shimmer can also kill you. Mm-hmm. So they keep making their way towards the lighthouse. Um, the group starts to get fractured as the shimmer kind of has infested all of them. It's inside of them. Um, and it's starting to change them. Gina Rodriguez, Anya, the lesbian. I'm like, why does the lesbian have to be the one to flip out? I know. All right. So she uh, is looking at her hands and it's like she's kind of swirling around her fingerprints and shit. They're at the army base at night and uh, Cass gets snatched by something taken away. There's something out there. They don't know what it is. So the next day they set off again. They find uh, Cass's dead body. Lena finds it. They make their way to an abandoned house. And that's when Gina Rodriguez really flips out. She doesn't trust Lena. She eventually finds out that Kane was her husband. She's getting real paranoid over stuff. She doesn't like that this stuff is making her skin all weird. So she knocks them all out. The other three, Ventress and Josie and Lena, knocks them all out, ties them to chairs. And then you get the bear scene. Oof. Which fucked me up so bad. Especially the first time I saw this with like theater sound yeah it's so fucking creepy because they hear Cass their dead colleague they hear her screaming I can't even describe this scene you just have to see it it's very Blair Witch to bring back Mary Brown right (laughs) but I mean like the eeriness it's kind of eerie but like that eeriness of like Mike screaming no is it Mike wait Heather Mike Josh it was Mike Sorry, <laughs> uh, Mike screaming it just in the distance, but you're like, is that Mike or is that the witch? Josh. Josh. Yeah. Mike is the, why, Josh sounds like a young name to me, but Josh is the, thank you. Wow, what is happening? Who am I? <laughs> it's the shimmer. It's the shimmer. Look, check my irises to see if they're <laughs> fractaling out. Um, Soapy bubbles. Uh, b- so, but in this, you don't realize that the, horrible screams for help aren't coming from the person until it's too late and it's right next to you and it's in your face and it's scary and has a cute skull face it's so creepy oh man that's the scene that everybody that and the ending of this movie and that's what it sticks with everybody i think oh you liked it or not oh for sure um so they're they're kind of dying off one by one the bear takes out anya the lesbian (laughs) also how she's credited oh boy so the next day uh ventress is like i gotta get to the fucking lighthouse bye and so she goes off on her own to like heading towards the lighthouse tessa thompson josie is sadder than ever but also kind of at peace with accepting what's going on and she wanders off and becomes a flower sculpture yeah she's chill honestly i think she makes it out the best of anybody you think so because she's just like you know what? I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to confront. I'm just going to go be flowers. Right. That's true. I kind of was here for her journey. Uh, Lena pursues Ventress, makes her way to the lighthouse where she finds another camera and realizes that uh, the man that returned to her was not her husband, um, but a doppelganger. It's real good moment. Um, and then she goes into where the meteor or the craft or whatever it is, it punctured the wall and made like a big butthole. She goes into the butthole. Uh, Dr. Ventress is in there at the end of her rope. 
Yeah, in the, yeah, in the xenomorph basement. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it look like those fucking xenomorph caves? It absolutely does. That's when she says the title of the movie and you go, oh my God. And did we address this on the show or personally? Just personally, yeah. For years and many times in the life of this show, once again, the Michelle Yao effect happens where I thought Jennifer Jason Lee screams, Annihilation! And then explodes. But as you informed me when you rewatched it like a couple months ago, she just says, Annihilation. <laughs> and then explodes. And then she screams and explodes. So I see where you conflated those two things. She does go, Rawr! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still. She explodes into light. Shit gets fucking weirder than ever. Uh, The alien? I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it when Jennifer Jason Lee explodes into light, it makes this thing, this thing, like, sucks a droplet of blood out of Natalie Portman's face, and then it creates a doppelganger of Natalie Portman. But it's kind of formless for a long time. It's almost like a shadow. And the whole sequence is just so cool. The music, if you want to call it music, is fucking lit. And they're engaged in this, uh, well, it's not a dance battle. (laughs) I kind of wish it was. A mime-off? A (laughs) mime-off. Eventually, uh, Lena gives the alien form, her doppelganger, a grenade that explodes. Everything goes up in flames. Lena reemerges from the shimmer tells us her tale oscar isaac uh, is healed they embrace at the end she says are you kane he says i don't think so he says are you lena and she does not answer their eyes do weird things the end of the movie soap bubble soap bubble there is so much i mean we've been talking about this for so long and there's there's just so much to talk about so this is just going to be a 12 hour episode fine with it did she blow herself up here's the thing i this is this is what i think i think on the surface of things i think she's telling us the truth she blew up the alien Mm -hmm. i think this is the real lena that has emerged however the question are you lena is much deeper than just the surface like are you you or are you the doppelganger Because it's speaking to, if you look at everything that this movie is speaking to, depression, uh, grief, uh, self-destruction, like they talk about in the movie. Self-destruction, huge. Basically, this movie, I think, is really talking about losing yourself. Whether you lose yourself to grief, like Cass does, you lose yourself to addiction, like Anya does, or depression like Josie, uh, Lena loses herself to self-hate and guilt. Dr. Ventress loses herself to sickness. Mm -hmm. When you lose yourself and you no longer recognize yourself, the person that you were, you might come out the other side of an episode or something. You might be a recovering addict or maybe a really bad spell of depression passes by. But are you the same person? Right. And I don't think you can be. I think you can be a different person for better or for worse. But I don't think you can ever actually just be the same. If you battle cancer, 
and come out the other and you survive, you're not the same person going in. And I think that's something that people really wrestle with, especially when you end up marked in physical ways. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, women fighting breast cancer and they have to get a mastectomy. Oh, yeah. And they lose their sense of self. Yeah. Or is the is grandma with dementia, is that still grandma? Right. Even even beyond physicality, just like grief. Because we are, you know, ourselves extended to our communities and our friends and our family. And so like to lose to lose like a good a partner or something, or you know, that is in a sense also a loss of self. Like that that's something that Cassie speaks to when she says She's talking about losing her daughter to leukemia. And she says, in a way, there's two bereavements, my beautiful girl and the person I once was. Yeah, I think that's exactly that. It's such a truism is that there are some things that happen throughout life that just change you, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and and this movie also be, I mean, Natalie Portman's character is a biologist. We keep seeing images of cells dividing. And, you know, there's also like the John Carpenter butterfly chair stoner component to that, where it's like your cells also reformulate every seven years. So like we are physically, biologically, actually different organisms. And uh, what's what's is it is it scary to recognize that? You know, this is this might be really out there. And yeah, I'm going to talk about a video game. But there's this amazing sequence in <laughs> Wolfenstein. Which one? The uh, the New Order? Whatever the, the first one. The first reboot? Yeah. Right. Where a character is watching another character sleep. And he wakes up and he's like, what are you doing watching me sleep? And she's pondering over the idea of like, when you wake up, are you the same person you were as when you went to sleep? Because your brain has to kind of reconstitute who you are. Because when you're asleep, you kind of, your consciousness disappears. Yeah, you're kind of dead. You're way. kind of dead while you're asleep. And so your brain just kind of puts you back together when you wake up. And so are there minute changes in all of us day to day? Are you the exact same person that you were before you went to sleep last night? Hmm. And so I think that's, you know, just another thing that this movie is talking about yeah is just like what makes you you yeah so is she the same it doesn't really matter in a way because she's changed it's in her now regardless so even if she is still the same lena that was born however many years ago and went into the shimmers she's not the same person at all she's been irrevocably changed by this mm-hmm so I just love that they leave it hanging. And on the surface, you could say like, oh, wow, was it the doppelganger or whatever? But I think it's just much more, I think it's a meatier question than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so, it's so rich. Like See, all of I, these five, five women are all different aspects of depression, really. Or like how someone deals with depression. Yeah. Lena wants to fight it. Ventress wants to understand it. Anya completely denies it. Cass knows about it, but is also blindsided by the severity of it. And Josie just kind of submits to it. Yeah. They all have their reasons for being there. And they all approach this whole, the shimmer and everything in it from such different places. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that most of them, 
I guess there's also like, well, as humans, this is only natural that there's a f- element of fear that they're, they become afraid of it. But also like most of these characters really have nothing to lose. And yet they still like the, the severity of the situation becomes more apparent to them. And then the panic begins to set in over the time. That's why I did like that Tessa Thompson just resigns herself to it, even though it's depressing. But, uh, but the, yeah, the panic sets in and these characters begin to destabilize. I mean, we really see this happen most obviously with Anya the lesbian um, and how she responds to it, this panic of not wanting to go there. But also it's like, you all knew what you were signing up for. And I, I think that does speak to the, the the very human fear of just of massive change. But I think it's it's really scary to think of change because there has to be an impetus for it. And usually that's trauma, but then I don't know, but there's also, I, I think there is an upside to this movie, which is the capability for rebirth. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I think Alina very literally has to deal with herself. <laughs> she has to deal with her self hate and she has to deal with the guilt that she feels and she has to confront it and it almost crushes her like when she goes to leave and the doppelganger is like literally crushing her against the door and none of this is on purpose this is just it's mirroring her yeah so it's literally crushing her and she has to just let all of that consume her or she confronts it and accepts it and moves on from it and emerges from the shimmer and she's completely changed by the experience but somewhere in there she's still herself she's not the doppelganger but only by actually facing it and not fighting it and just accepting herself then she gets out of it yeah it's kind of like the end of the babadook very much You'll never, you can't eliminate the grief that you feel. You can't eliminate the depression that you feel. You can only learn how to manage it and live with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what she learns to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is the what the other woman couldn't do or would, wouldn't do. Couldn't or wouldn't, yeah. Because like Anya, like, yeah, you knew what you were going to get. But when you go in and everything you thought you knew, like all the laws of physics <laughs> or nature, the laws of nature are completely turned on their head. She just kind of cracks, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think there's a line that you could argue that the movie is just completely also about death and the inevitability of death. Mm-hmm. Fully. Uh, um, when they're asking her about the alien and she, you know, it wasn't destroying, it was changing and making something new. Yeah. I mean, that's what they say death does, right? It's like, oh, energy can't be destroyed. Yeah, well, yeah, death itself is an act of rebirth in a way. So, and I mean, the women, it's all ways to confront the idea of our own mortality. Mm-hmm. Ventress, like, wants to learn about it. Like, as someone who is actively dying, she wants to learn about it and see what it's all about. Yeah, she says, I want to learn about it. <laughs> energy anthony <laughs> oh sorry i should I have wanna... been more Teresa in my yeah. delivery <laughs> yeah. i want to learn about it yeah there you go there you go <laughs> yeah lena wants to fight it can't fight it yeah what a movie why does kane so kane i think really uh, not like it's all glorious husband you know and that he didn't do anything wrong but it seems like he really does love her he tells her i do love you before he leaves 
And then we see the the second videotape. Would you ever watch a videotape in front of a ca- on a camera that you found in front of a dead body, pointed at a dead body? I would, but I would squint. That's the thing is, I'm like, like maybe the first time when they find just the memory card, like you don't know that there's going to be cutting open of the intestine. You know, there's not going to be. You don't know there's going to be a gutting. But this, when you see a video camera pointed at a immolated corpse, right? You know you're going to see the immolation. Yeah, I would be ready to close my eyes and my ears. Yeah, so you would do that. You would do the squint method again with the the fear water. Total squint method on the eyes, fingers poised over the ear hole. <laughs> You've grown three hands to accommodate this. Yeah. Okay. So she finds that video. That video. She watches it where he self immolates and you know, or with the, with the uh, some cool grenade that phosphorus grenade a phosphorus grenade it's very cool very bright and just seems peaceful in a way (laughs) not too messy just bright um and he he said he tells the doppelganger who it it was revealed the doppelganger was the one filming it a form a fully formed doppelganger of himself just like there was with natalie portman he says tells him to go find lena and the guy says like okay i think melts himself explodes himself so did he did he think did he was he depressed post this thing with lena and he had no reason to go on but he thought maybe this doppelganger could be a better version of himself for her or like what why does he send the doppelganger out to find her Mm. question i have Mm. i mean yes it also gets the movie rolling (laughs) right (laughs) right yeah at its base level there's that but plot us but why would he do it yeah yeah while still self-immolating maybe the clone doesn't have the sad memories right because it's a fresh version of him so maybe he still doesn't want her to be sad maybe he doesn't realize how different it will be with the new him plus he's i mean he's not in his right frame of mind oh he's been in crazy town for like a year yeah maybe just to like maybe he thinks it'll be a happy life yeah and then at the end what's i think it's also very juicy that like he hugs her at the end he goes in and hugs her and now you could there's an implication that now they are going to start over together and maybe have oil slick soap bubble babies to permanently transform humanity perhaps yeah there's something i think real sinister in the ending Oh, fully. I mean, the, 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 the shots of those irises. I mean, they keep saying throughout it, like, you know, they, the, in the wraparound story, they ask Lena, like, what did it want? And she's like, I don't think it wanted anything. Like the aliens motivations are as unknowable as hers, really. Mm -hmm. But maybe it does want something. Maybe. Just because you didn't figure it out in the lighthouse doesn't mean it doesn't. Maybe it yeah. just, maybe it just has a, you know, the will to survive and to propagate. Like there are definite shades of the thing in this movie at mm-hmm. times. Like when they find the video where Kane cuts open the other guy, they find the guy's body. And it's like, it's like the thing, but in midsummer drag. <laughs> it's like the thing the thing is now the may queen you know it fully it's real cool it's so cool and so creepy and 
scary and that like exploded neck and then the skull is the top part of the skull is set further back and it's just and everything's like pretty with flowers and fungus and pretty <laughs> yeah everything looks like mold but it's really beautiful and colorful yeah. which isn't which you know belies the danger yeah mold. like a black mold like with black mold my house is full of black mold but imagine if your house was full of the midsummer dress right but it was mold yeah, you would want to go towards that. You black mold you run from. That's right. So I don't know, maybe these maybe, you know, the aliens do want to just continue to exist. Who knows? I like that it's so open. It's an open ending. But it's but a satisfying ending, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all potential from here. <laughs> mhm. I don't know. I just really love it. I think it's super rich movie. Yeah, I agree. I really, really vibed with it this time. I'm really grateful I got to have the rewatch, and uh, I also, I'm, I'm, I am glad I got to see this in the theater. It's very sad to know that it was a flop. To, to relearn that it was a flop. Uh, I also was excited to learn the thing, the thing that it turned into, the big Jennifer Jason Lee turned into that weird blob. Yeah, that's called a mandel bulb. Oh. It's a three-dimensional fractal. Oh. And now they're like my new favorite creature because they're really weird and gross. <laughs> so I also learned that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked Annihilation. I like it a lot. It's a downer. I think not a lot of... I mean, well, maybe that's not true. Horror movies do frequently address losing your sense of self. But it's mm -hmm. usually like repulsion. You know, the film Repulsion, where it's just like, I'm going crazy! I'm nuts, my walls are cracking, I'm murdering people! Yeah, it's either like, I'm going crazy, or I'm a werewolf, or something like that. But I think this movie deals with it in a very kind of grounded sort of human way that is much more terrifying, because thinking about losing yourself, whether it's like, what if my brain goes and I, you know... Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, God bless sci-fi. I love science fiction so much. Nerd! Nerd! It, I love, I love, I'll never get over, <laughs> I've told you this before, I don't know if the listeners know, but I will never get over, I was lucky enough to have an amazing English professor in college who brought ursula k Le Guin to our class also the same year she also brought um catherine dunn to our class like wow. got to hang out and meet these amazing legends while they were still alive uh but there was a critical theorist in the school that came and she was like now what's up with all the spaceships why are there spaceships and ursula <laughs> k Le Guin, <laughs> ursula k Le Guin just goes everything she essentially said it's all drag she's like these are all trappings of to make it science fiction she's like none of that means anything these are all just ways of telling human stories about what we're going through and this theorist could not she started arguing with ursula kayla gwen oh my gosh and it was like but know that there's a spaceship because she was really obsessed with tech <laughs> and i just love that she did not understand like the core value of science fiction which is that you're making our world, you're making this this thought experiment and making everything we know strange to tell something that we already know or that we don't know how to articulate. And so just as a sci-fi film, I love this too, that it's 
it explores these themes and it does it, it dives into grief it dives into death depression change but it's never like you know there's never any people s- sitting around crying and talking about it's it it does it in a way that also is it makes you think about it and try to find parallels and i i like that yeah there are the there are the tiny moments of it like we don't get ventress having her big end of life monologue about you know oh you know whatever this means to her that she's actively dying or just yeah. like when Cass talks about her daughter it's a small moment but is really profound in its realness and oh, we, yeah. we see it you know uh with natalie portman's expression like we Absolutely. see how big that moment is but it doesn't devolve into monologues and crying which is really yeah. surprising because they're all women so you think they'd all be crying all the time or talking about shoes but <laughs> i mean they were in there for months right so on the, you'd think on the 28th day right something would go even more wacky but no no it, i i i i really i just admire that because i i don't know every every other thing that has to do with grief it's a like Midsummer is, <laughs> you know, I love Midsummer, but it's just this was a night. This was a very different way to talk about it that I really appreciated. It's really it's ironic, I suppose, that they are talking about some of the biggest issues that face every single one of us as human beings. Yeah, but without proselytizing on any of it, like I think you said it earlier, that this movie doesn't pass any judgments. Uh-uh. It doesn't pay no. like for these five women, like if you want to see this movie is about death or, you know, the way these five women each approach it differently. I mean, you could make the argument that like the lesbian is really obnoxious and the closest you get to like the bad guy. But I mean, she's also under a lot of pressure. Okay. She's under a lot of pressure. She does get real aggro and does that for three minutes. This turns into we're the bad guy. Really? The movie. Yeah. But it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it so it doesn't it doesn't say this is the right way to think about these things. And I appreciate that. It just kind of lays it all out there and lets us all think about it and approach it how we choose to. Yes. Um but it also does remind me just how terrifying the idea of losing yourself is. Yeah. And I suppose there's something just like ego about that, but but I just oh, that's mean, like, fully the terror. That's fully the terror. Is it's it's all entirely rooted in ego. But the idea of like losing faculties or any of that, I think, is just so scares me. Yeah, yeah, because it's how you experience the world. Right. It's it's all. That's why it's, we're afraid of change. Yeah, it's how I exist. You know. Yeah, it's our entire. It's 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 nothing except only our entire understanding of our all existence and our consciousness. <laughs> So it's fully natural. But, like Octavia Butler wrote, God is change. <laughs> change is the only given. So buckle up. Well, yeah. It wasn't destroying. It was changing and making something new. So I recognize this is a super-sode. However, I have qu- more questions. Yeah, yeah. No, please. Alex Garland. Right. I really like him, I think. I really like all of his movies. I, well, I haven't seen The Beach. <laughs> really I haven't seen I haven't seen men, so 
Okay, so my question was going to be tied into men because I need you to see that. I do need to see it. I really like men a lot. A lot of people didn't like it because it's very like elusive, but I didn't think so. But it's... So there's a thing. The one thing I can speak to is I'm curious about Alex Garland for two reasons. One, why is he obsessed with women? (laughs) I don't know why I'm not distrustful because I'm obsessed with women, but also I'm like big fag. And like, you know, very feminist oriented. There's different ways of being obsessed with women. It's true. You know, I think it's like obsessed with women, dot, dot, dot. And what are you trying to say? I think is the big question for him or for anybody else. Right. It's just all of his, so all of his films that he's made on his own as a director, Ex Machina, Annihilation, Men, they're all about women's experiences. Annihilation, probably the least of the three, because the others are like women's experiences underneath the the terror of men. Uh, But I'm just, I mean, I I, I don't know. Maybe he's a really good guy and he's just actually like a big feminist and that's great, but I'm also, I'm just like, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm curious. And then underneath that, so th- this is perhaps the worst question asked last because it's very loaded. But underneath that, if I have any reservations about Alex Garland's work beyond my deranged, vague suspicion <laughs> about why he works with women, uh, is both in this film and in Men. So Men is the one I d- I'm not really going to spoil anything, but like both Natalie Portman's character and the main character in Men. Um, have like there is a key thing in their past that they fucked up or you know there's a key something in their past that leads them to where they're at now and in both films it's from their relationship with a black man oh interesting like if i would just if i like when i watched men i forgot that she had had the dalliance with the professor in annihilation so i didn't think anything of it and like a student that was interning for me, they said they were, I asked them what they thought of it. And they were like, oh, I, well, I thought it was racist because why it is this, why is her like black partner, the one that, you know, kind of sends her on this journey and spirals her out. And I was like, I was like, well, that's a very young read. I don't think it actually ties into the film at all. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but then watching Annihilation this time, I'm like, it, when I see it twice in three films, it feels like there's that becomes a motif. So I'm curious about that. Even though the guy, the professor in this movie isn't depicted negatively, he cares about her, he loves her, but that is the root of the breakdown in her marriage. And then when you see men, you'll see that there's another root <laughs> for a breakdown. Interesting. So I'm just, I have questions about Alex Garland because I think he's a really with it, cool guy that gets it, I think. I want to think that. But when I see some motifs, I have questions. That's all. That would be a good question to ask him. It would, but I thought you could tell me. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) So I just asked you instead. I gotta see men. You gotta see men. I'm so curious what you think. I really loved it. I really responded to it. But um, it's it's a trip. I mean, it's the weirdest of his movies. It's, It's one of those things where it's like once you say this movie is colorblind casting you say well why couldn't her husband have been a black man and she cheats with oscar isaac it it gets into when you start doing mixed dynamics racial dynamics 
it's very rarely is it just like well we've got a whole benetton's worth of rainbow here that you know (laughs) (laughs) isn't that you know what i mean like it becomes loaded by putting certain characters in certain roles right that's the thing yeah and when it happens more than once that's definitely a so that's why, like, when I hear the, the that concern from a student and I think, well, but I just I just think it's just colorblind casting. You know, that was me literally being like, well, I don't see color, baby. <laughs> Versus then watching it with Annihilation and seeing that again, then I think, oh, well, I have, I just said again, this is a recurring, recurring um, theme. So I was curious, curious. So, Alex Garland, if you're listening, I expect your answer by five o'clock. Thank you. Send today. us an email, Gaylord at Gaylords of <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> and once again, people, this is not me trying to find like my my Gen Z critique of this film. It's literally just a question because I have seen a motif in his films. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's kind of interesting that she. I mean, Oscar Isaac is what is he's some flavor of. I think he's he was from Central or South America, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is something to be maybe mentioned that like, but it's the black colleague that she actually has the big connection with, and that's why he's like, we're perfect together. Mm. So why does she in turn reject him? I mean, you, but then she's married, and you, you know, you take an oath to your partner. Yeah. Don't have affairs. That's the lesson, I guess. That's the lesson. I don't think it's that's not the it's not either man's. I mean, is this, is it anybody's fault? I don't know. He's also married. It's all a mess. But we also, you know, to the same extent, we also know nothing about Oscar Isaac except from her experience. Once again, who knows what her uh, flashback memories? How truthful they even are? Is are, is thing. it just like? Is she looking at them and they seem better than they were because she feels so guilty over all of this? Mm-hmm. She goes on her whole Orpheus and Eurydice journey for him. Oh my god, that's entirely what this is, isn't it? It's fully an underworld story. I hadn't thought about that. That comes from her, it seems. Like, she tells the man she's having the affair with that, like, oh, he knows, like, Oscar Isaac knows. And we can see through his facial expressions that he knows, but we have never seen them talk about it. Yeah, we know just as much about him as we know about Doppelganger Kane. Yeah, he's not fleshed out much at all. So. No, he just, he he loves her, he tickles her, he's <laughs> a perfect <laughs> human being. Yeah. yeah. But that's all we know about him. I think it's telling... That I think it's a nice detail, perhaps, and this is uh, that, you know, the the colleague says like, "Oh, you can't talk to him," et cetera, et cetera. And in that scene on the couch, she's reading a book and he's reading a magazine. Mm-hmm. And I look, I read lots of magazines. Okay, subscribe to Rue Morgue, everybody. There's nothing wrong with magazines. Okay, <laughs> but there's a difference. So I just think that was a nice. I think that is. I think that pointed to something of like, maybe you do love this person, but it's just, maybe you're not compatible as life partners or something. Well, or thinking about also the uh, the other through line in this film about change. Like that was her army boyfriend from what? How long ago? She's been out of the army for what? Like seven years or something? Yeah. And army is different circumstances than regular life. 
Yeah. She even says, she even says when they ask her, like, oh, you're in the army or whatever? And where'd you learn to shoot? She's like, she says it feels like a different lifetime. So people change things. I, although I'm just like, imagine a world where you cheat on Oscar Isaac. I mean, who would ever? <laughs> but spend a day in Natalie Portman's shoes, you know? Who knows? Who knows? Whole different life, things change. People change. Weird shit happens. It doesn't have to be actively malicious, you know? No. It can also, yeah, exactly. It can also just happen and have nothing to do with him, too. Yeah, she feels this connection with this other person, and next thing you know. Mm-hmm. But that is, that's two people. That's a, that's a beginnings of a pattern, yeah? What is it? Like, once is a, a thing, twice is a coincidence, three times is a pattern? Right. See, that's when I become Dr. Wendy Carr. As y'all can tell I'm watching Mindhunter. Uh, and and I start I start arranging my index cards. You turn to a hot lesbian. A cool, hot lesbian. The fashion sense on Dr. Wendy oh! Carr. Like, it's like, it's like she, it's like, it's like she inherited it straight from Theo, another great lesbian. Yes. Boy. I love great lesbians. I love all lesbians. Let's be real. Even Anya. Even Anya. Anyway. I'm so happy I got to rewatch this. Thank you for uh, bringing Countdown to Rapture into our lives. Yes. Thank you, Mama Moo. Oh, thank you, Mama Moo. (laughs) We'll pay tribute and tithe to you. very Well, we've already paid tithe. We'll pay physical tribute very soon. Uh, Stacey, with all of that said... Are you ready to ascend to the top of the Great Value Pyramid? No. Oh? Oh? Something different around these parts? Change? (laughs) In light of these flowers growing out of all my holes. (laughs) Oh, no, I don't. Oh. My perm is too tight. (laughs) My perm is too tight. Sorry. I meant, anyway, uh, listen, we are open to change, to change, for our French listeners. Yeah, that's <laughs> Celine Dion herself. Yeah. Here at Staley Gaylord's Manor, and I had an epiphany yesterday, just a matter of fact, and I said, you know, what if we changed up the last segment of the show? What if it just wasn't the chopping block until... You know, I'm ready to actually cut my head off. What if it wasn't Great Value Pyramid until I'm ready to be entombed in a pyramid? You know? (laughs) What if we changed it up? And who knows what we'll do week to week? Maybe it's whatever we feel like. Maybe it is the chopping block. Maybe it is Great Value Pyramid. Maybe it's something else entirely. I presented this to Anthony. I said, listen, I'm just saying. And Anthony said, that, that, that. I was texting. (laughs) (laughs) And then I said, that sounds great. Well, it's funny too, because this is very Gaylord's Us, where like we even said when we were creating Great Value Pyramid and troubleshooting how that would work and figuring out the structure and all of that, we even said like, we just change it. We don't always have to do this. And then we proceeded to fall into the pattern of doing the exact same thing every episode again. Listen, it is a moment in one's life when you realize you have the ability to stop or start doing something 
period. The feeling of liberation and potential of activating one's agency. Amazing. Sometimes I think we forget here at Gaylords that we can do whatever we want on this show. Yeah. You, you hear know. that? <laughs> it's not a threat, <laughs> listeners. Don't worry. <laughs> but I mean, the show can be like whatever we want it to be. I love doing this show, obviously. But if we wanted to completely change it up next weekend, maybe it would fail. Who cares? You know what failure is? Failure is a way to make you make choices. Oh, I thought you were going to do a Gary Busey where he does the acronyms like fear of activating (laughs) intelligence. (laughs) No. Learning after responding to emotion or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. It's just failure is an opportunity to make choices. You know, as someone who... uh, I don't know, whatever. You know, uh, is in the arts. I don't know how to say it. You know, basically, I have to submit place. I've gotten more rejections for things over the course of my life. You could look at them as failures. It's a way to make choices and it's a way to change things up. Or you're rehearsing for a play and you try something one way and it doesn't work. You don't stop. You just try it a different way. Well, it's actually, I mean, it's such a, it's such a, a, a stereotype and a bumper sticker, but it really is the best teacher. Like, because when something fails, then you learn what you do want to do and what what does work. Yes. It's very, it's much more powerful than just affirmation. <laughs> That's right. So maybe, maybe we should be hashtag goal bosses. Uh, see, listen to, we're like getting analytic. We're like girl bossing, goal bossing, understanding more about ourselves and about each other. So anyway, the point is we're not doing great value pyramid today. No, it's not just, we will later. Yeah, we'll do it again. But no, today, because I, I was like, well, maybe I have a question for Stacy. And that question is, we, we do need a theme song, though, for a question with a little jingle. Anytime we do a question day. Ask a question and maybe I'll give you an answer. Okay, so when you when you edit, just harvest that, send it to me, and then I'll put piano to it. Um, so because today's film is not a book, but it was adapted from a book. I said to Stacy, well, we could have a question about adaptations. And I'm curious, what are our favorite and least favorite horror adaptations? And then I said, why did I ask this question? <laughs> Immediately upon trying to answer it. Oh, yeah? Why is There's that? There's so many! It turns out everything is a fucking adaptation. Yeah. It's like everything has been adapted from a book. And now you're telling me I have to pick two? Oh, two? No. So I didn't pick two. No. (laughs) It's also there's like a, there's different. I mean, there's like, uh, what is a good adaptation? What is a bad adaptation? What are the ones that change the source material? I'm thinking specifically of something like The Shining. That's the quandary at the root of this is then, okay, so then we have to get into semantics. Are we talking about favorite adaptation because of the the skill with which it adapted the thing that you had the feelings about? The book that you might have read? Is it because of that? Or is is it just your favorite horror thing in general and it also just happens to be an adaptation? So all I did not consider any of these things until I realized I had to consider all of them. 
but I, I did land on some answers. Okay, well, let's hear it. Okay, thank you. So, <laughs> so favorite adaptation. I I went back and forth forever, uh, like Miranda July, <laughs> and I was I was losing my mind asking myself these questions, and I'm like, okay, listen, like the Stepford Wives, I fucking love the Stepford Wives, but is that my favorite adaptation? Is it because I love the book? I'm like, I mean, the books may be better, but the movie does such a good job. It just went back and forth forever. Ultimately, I settled on two that both the book and the film films were so crucial to me and crucial to me at a very formative age for horror. Like these were the things that got me into horror. And I do also think that these are two of the very best adaptations out there. But because I encountered them at essentially the same time and they set me off on this journey, I had to go with, for favorite adaptations, I had to go with The Exorcist and The Silence of the Lambs. Both are spectacular in each of their respective original their source material and the following adaptation. Both are like, both re- reinvented horror. Both, uh... I, I also think that both films actually improve on the source material. The books are really good, but I think if, and I don't know that there's even fault in the books, but I think by the by the sake of making them cinematic and making them real and tactile in a physical way by through images, it just makes it more relatable and powerful as a horror story, I guess. So those were my, I would say my favorites. And for least favorite <laughs> i said to myself listen you said least favorite you didn't say worst so let's be positive about this and i had to go with the queen of the damned because <laughs> oh. it's terrible i'm so mad at it it's my favorite Anne rice book and yet that is my sick movie i watch it every time i'm ill i genuinely have reached a place of loving that movie even though it's terrible well Aaliyah. Aaliyah's amazing! Aaliyah's gay brother completed her role! Like, when you hear her voice, that's her brother looping her voice in. It's, uh... And it's got some cool... It's got Lena Olin. (laughs) Hey, Hey, she plays a lesbian, a mindhunter. Oh, really? Yeah, she's Wendy Carr's, uh... Her first... I haven't got there yet. Oh, that's so exciting! Oh, the reveal? You haven't gotten to the reveal? No! Oh, oh! I love Lena Olin. That makes me so happy. See, that's how cool Doctor Wendy Carr is—is is that she's dating Lena fucking Olin. So anyway, uh, yeah. So Silence of the Lambs, Exorcist, and least favorite Queen of the Damned. Okay, but still a favorite technically. <laughs> All right, you know, yeah, The Exorcist. I had down. I reread that. Not too long ago, maybe a year ago or so. And like I had read that when I was a teenager. Um, reread it, was expecting to not super be into it, especially since I've seen the movie so many times since then. Yeah. The book is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like I like I thought it had no surprises for me in store. Turns out it did. Like it's just what a book. It's a I carried that in my binder in middle school (laughs) 
on top of because I had in my binder, you know, zip up with all my folders and peachies in it, and then my pencil bag that had the three ring attachment, and then on top of that, I kept my Exorcist copy for a year. <laughs> and then when I switched it out, I went to Sons of the Lambs. Wow. And I, I read both of those before I saw the movies. Um, the book is terrifying. It's so good. It's so good. And it explains some things, like who put the crucifix there. Uh, also, Exorcist. I posted a thing on Twitter. Because the <laughs> new Exorcist is coming out. The yeah, fucking... you, you got that. St- we got the exclusive on that still. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking David Gordon Green Exorcist is coming out. Girl. And uh, I read that. I didn't know Ellen Burstyn is in it. Apparently, yeah. I guess it's like a cameo or something. But I read that she only did it. And has stated that she only did it because the money she's getting for it, she's using to start a scholarship for film students. Yeah, for the for for the through the actor studio, right? Yeah. Yeah, she she said I read a thing and she said they asked me, I said no. They asked me again, I said no. They asked me again and they gave me an insane number. I said no. And then I came back and I said, take that number, double it, and it's all going to go to the scholarship that I want to make. And then she did it. Because she's a goddamn queen. And now she has to suffer through that bullshit because she cares that much about her students. (laughs) And they spent more than, you know, probably 90% of their budget on paying Ellen (laughs) Burstyn for 90 seconds. But all of that got me thinking about The Exorcist, which I also watched not all that, like, a lot of stuff has happened during the pandemic, y'all. But, and I looked back through our archives, and we're gonna have to do an Exorcist episode. Can we please? Because I have been having Exorcist feelings, and I love it. It's, that movie is perfect. The end. There's our episode. The book is, (laughs) the book is so good, but then it's like, so then what happens when you take everything that's great? Because it's a very faithful adaptation. Because William Peter Blatty wrote the movie too. But what happens when you... And he's a. what's great is he was also a screenwriter that then wrote a novel. And so he already understood how to turn it into a film. And then he did that. <laughs> and he also had Friedkin at his most competent. <laughs> um, yeah. That went away fast. But... <laughs> But taking that text and then you put Ellen Burstyn in it and those effects, it's amazing. Perfect movie. Absolutely perfect movie. Um, Let me see. What did I? Oh, my perfect favorite is uh, The Haunting. <gasps> From the Haunting of Hill House. Oh. It's just, what a, what a pair. The movie and the book. And uh, the least, least favorite my other favorite maybe well i don't know i had trouble i did have the exorcist written down i had questions about the shining Mm -hmm. because it's a bad adaptation but boy do i love it i like it more than the book myself i know blaspheme (laughs) (laughs) listen the book doesn't have shelly duvall right exactly american psycho is another case of where it's like the book i find pretty reprehensible and Guinevere Turner and Mary Heron worked a miracle with it. Man. And as Ellen Barkin said, that movie is the best thing Brett Easton Ellis ever did. <laughs> okay. Ellen Barkin is the coolest shit that's ever lived. Yeah, she is. We just can acknowledge that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. needed to acknowledge that. Um, I did not know that she said that. I love that. That's hilarious. And it's true. Yep. 
Guinevere Turner and Mary Heron did that man, that loud ass man, a very big favor for his legacy. <laughs> like, and they also made some a killer fucking movie in the process. Also, The Ring. Boy, when I finally got my greasy mitts on that book, I was so excited. I hated that book. Wasn't it Rape City? It's Rape City. Like, no women. It's just, it's awful. And I was so disappointed because I love the movie so very much. And I was so excited to have it in book form. And boy, oh boy, oh boy. And uh, another bad one, I think. The Ruins. Oh, yeah. This is always a disconnect for us because I love The Ruins. The movie happens so fast. It's so fast. Whereas in the book, they're there for a few days. And so you get to see the degradation of their mental states and, you know, like fighting against this thing. And in the movie, it's like all one day, basically. (laughs) And it's so fast. It's very fast. And it doesn't work. And they completely change the ending. Well, and they, the ending completely shifted and then switching those two characters. Yeah. Like, they essentially put them in drag as each other and just flip them. Like, it's kind of like Lucy Mina in terms of how Dracula has been adapted in so much of its content for some I guess people just thought Lucy was a hotter name, so they made her the star. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> they kind of did a Lucy Mina to the ruins. And that was a disservice for sure. So I do really enjoy that book. I think it's a good, it's just one of those good, like, airport novels, you know? Oh, it's a very good book. It's very distressing. I read it on the train. Similar to an airport novel. Yeah. Well, I guess with that, we are one episode closer to Rapture. Oh my God. Only two more to follow. That's right. What will we talk about next week? You'll find out next week. Oh, how exciting. But we'll be here. Oh, I'm just freaking out now because I have been thinking like three weeks, but now I'm thinking two movies. Two movies. Which is way different than three weeks. I can't think about it in public like this because I get too excited. Yeah. So anyway, so sometimes what we're going to do also for this final segment is answer listener questions. They're back, everybody. Now, look, we still have all those old questions that you were like, we used to just do listener questions every week. And then we were like, and then we invented the chopping block. But because we're going to mix it up. Who knows what we'll do week to week. It's whatever, however the wind blows through our voluminous curls and our perms. (laughs) We'll see how we feel. (laughs) So if you have a listener question, we still have all the old listener questions that we'll be dabbling in. Um, So don't think that we just threw them into the digital garbage can because we did not. No. Um, But if you have a new question or something, you can send it to us. Gaylords at gaylordsofdarkness.com. That's a great way to do it. It's a really good way to do it because it's easy to lose track of DMs. You could still DM them to us through our Twitter at Gaylords of D or our Instagram at Gaylords of Darkness. You could do that or Facebook, but it's much easier to keep track of an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gaylordsofdarkness.com is where you can find all of our episodes, things like that, uh, our necronomologues, blah, blah, blah. You just gave all the social media stuff, so I don't have to tell people about that. No. We do. I will say we do have a store on our website. Um, and it's so weird ever since the around the time of the three inning, like people just stop buying stuff. I'm like, what's up, people? Oh my god. <laughs> You're the worst. I mean, just because you all spent thirteen thousand dollars on justice, 
means you can't buy a five dollar sticker. Oh my god! <laughs> I am so embarrassed right now. I am embarrassed that you would you say that. Hot? that you yes, hot face. my cheeks are bright red. I am sure. <laughs> I am embarrassed. Don't pay any attention to Anthony. Disgusting. Whatever. I'm going into the shimmer. Goodbye. Wow, for a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, oh, oh my god! god. Oh, oh my god! god. Tune in next time for more Gaylords of Darkness! Ha, ha, ha.